live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Thursday, February the 29th of 2024. If your birthday is on February 29th, well, happy birthday. And I'm really curious how you celebrate other years. Do you wait until the day after, the day before? Celebrate any day you want? What a strange thing to have your birthday on February the 29th. So happy Leap Day. And let's leap into some Notre Dame football, Notre Dame basketball, and Hoosier Hysteria topics tonight. Here on two hours of Budweiser's weekday sports speed. My name is Darren Pritchett. We're live on 960 AM WSBT. Live streams are available at WSBTradio.com on our free WSBT radio app. And also the feed available in studio on the Twitch app. Good to be with you. I will be off the show tomorrow, taking another day off to watch my son in the high school basketball sectionals. Jim Arizari and Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, will be co-hosting the program tomorrow. Eric is off today, so he's going to jump on board with Jim tomorrow from 5 to 7 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Big night of basketball at Purcell Pavilion. If you're an Irish women's basketball fan, if you're kind of a, a neutral fan of any women's basketball team you might want to check this out tonight number five virginia tech in town to take on the irish big acc showdown virginia tech's got a 6-6 forward that's going to be probably a problem for the irish tonight elizabeth kitley averaging 23 and 11 per game an all-american we'll see if the irish guards can outplay a good group of tech guards should be a good one at purcell pavilion seven o'clock tip if you can't make it out you can tune in to our Notre Dame broadcast on our sister station, Live 99.9. Pre-game coverage at 6.45. Again, tip time, 7 o'clock. And big news for the state of Indiana today when it comes to women's basketball. It is official. The all-time leading women's basketball score in NCAA history, Iowa's Caitlin Clark, is foregoing another year of eligibility to enter the WNBA draft and the Indiana Fever 
have the number one pick in the draft. So you talk about ticket sales <laughs> going through the roof down there at Gainbridge. Caitlin Clark is going to be a member of the Indiana Fever, as she's already announced. She's headed to the WNBA draft. Also down in Indianapolis today, our good friend, former Irish defensive end, Javante Jean-Baptiste, who had such a wonderful year with the Fighting Irish. Boy, I wish we could have him for another season, but you had Jean-Baptiste coming in from Ohio State for one year of football in South Bend. Coach Washington, Coach Freeman, Coach Golden, boy, they got the most out of him. First of all, great pickup. And they've turned him into a pro prospect, and he is down in Indy at the Combine. But just a little bit ago, Ian Rappaport, NFL insider for the NFL Network, tweeted out that Notre Dame defensive end Javante Jean-Baptiste spent last night and this morning dealing with food poisoning. He was throwing up until 10 a.m. this morning. He hydrated all morning, ate at noon after going 24 hours without food, yet he wanted to be out there testing that's a gamer and that will show some nfl teams that this guy is serious about a career in the nfl so rough circumstance for jean baptiste but he is battling through and he is out there testing at the nfl combine today so good luck to him boy what a pleasant surprise he turned out to be for the fighting Irish football team last fall. All right, 12 minutes after 5 o'clock, we have our hat trick of opening topics to get to. We'll talk a little Bears, Justin Fields in just a little bit. Twitter question of the day, 6 o'clock hour, a big dose of Hoosier hysteria. We'll be joined by two coaches who will be leading their teams into sectional semifinals tomorrow night. We'll start things off at about 6.05 with Mishawaka basketball coach Bodie Bender, the 17-7 Cayman. We'll take on South Bend Adams at Mishawaka High School tomorrow at 6 o'clock. And then Derek Deshone, the head basketball coach of Concord. He'll lead his 18-4 Minutemen into the Elkhart sectional semifinal against a really good Warsaw team. That might be the game of the night in the area. It is Concord in Warsaw, 6 o'clock from Northside Gym. We'll talk to Coach Deshaun about his club entering the sectional semifinal right around 6.30 here on WSBT Radio. We'll have some sizzler to wrap up the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. To our hat trick of opening topics, let's start with this 14-team thing that's being talked about. That could reshape the college football playoff again before we even have the reshaped 12-team playoff. Now, why are we talking about going from 12 to 14 teams? TV and money is where we start, and that's where we start with any conversation. The new college football playoff TV deals are being renegotiated, a new batch ready to roll in 2026, and it seems like ESPN has the inside track to spend a billion or two to have the rights to carry all of the college football playoff games. So the reshaping of the TV deals, when you have an opportunity to put together a long-term TV deal, you want to make sure that you get everything you want into this package. And I'm sure ESPN wants as many games as you can give them in the college football playoffs. So, At the very least right now, the best way I can say it is there are discussions and there appears to be some momentum 
that we could have a 14-team college football playoff starting in 2026. Let's also keep in mind this. How many times did we start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, trying to go from four to what we're going to have this fall, 12 teams? There always seemed to be something stopping the process. So we'll see if they can pull this off. Now, Bill Hancock put together a one-month deadline in trying to reach an agreement on all this, and that deadline is right around mid-March. So they still have a couple of weeks to figure this out. Now, according to reports from ESPN, there are three major issues going forward. Access to the 14-team playoff through automatic qualification. This is not going to come as a shock. Another issue, division of money. And finally, how will the group be governed? A lot of things have to be worked out. Does it feel like we're going to get to 14 teams for 26? I would imagine so. With that new TV deal that's going to be signed, let's get the playoff the way the presidents, the athletic directors, the chancellors, whomever, let's get it right. Because let's don't mess around a couple of years into the TV deal and start having all these discussions about this and that. Let's let's try to get this settled for at least a little while. Again, don't hold your breath. So when this first came out, the model that's being discussed, and let me emphasize this, apparently there are several models being kicked around, but the one that has gone public and allegedly might be the most realistic option is a 14-team playoff in which the SEC and the Big Ten would get a majority of the automatic qualifiers. So this is how this proposal would break down. And how does this affect Notre Dame? When this first came out, I'm thinking, holy cow, this is a game-changer for Notre Dame. What is their access going to be as an independent? But now we get a few more details, and I'll tell you what, I think Notre Dame's still in great shape to remain an independent. This does not push them over the edge. So who's in in this discussed 14-team college football playoff model? We start with the two whales of college football, the SEC and the Big Ten. They are the two powerhouse conferences right now in college football as they continue to gobble up teams, mainly the Big Ten, who now sits at 18 teams with the addition of our West Coast friends, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. Now, Tony Petit is the commissioner of the Big Ten, and it sounds like he had some thoughts come to mind, and that's why this model's being talked about. I'm paraphrasing. They're basically saying in the Big Ten of the SEC, we're the best two conferences. We have the best teams. We have the teams that are going to the college football playoff. We are going to have the tougher schedules because of all the good teams that we have. So we deserve to have more automatic qualifiers. Now, we all know 
with college basketball. The regular season helps you seed teams for a conference tournament. From there, the winner of the conference tournament in basketball gets the automatic berth into the field of 68. Then all the other teams in that conference battle for at-large bursts with the rest of college basketball. So one conference gets an automatic berth into the field of 68 in basketball. Well, in this particular model, it's going to be a little different. And I'm wondering how you feel about this. Not only would the conference champion, let's use the Big Ten as an example. If you have a conference championship of Michigan against Ohio State in the Big Ten football championship game, Ohio State wins. Ohio State gets the automatic berth into the college football 14-team playoff. But that doesn't eliminate Michigan. Based on the college football playoff rankings, the next two highest-ranked Big Ten teams get into the field of 14. Let me use an example. Let's use the college football playoff rankings from December 3rd, 2023, which decided that Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama would be in the college football playoff. And using next year's college football map, two from the Big Ten and two from the SEC. So let's say Ohio State is our Big Ten champion. Let's go with the next highly ranked teams. Michigan and Washington, with this example, would be, quote-unquote, second and third in the Big Ten, those three all get automatic bursts. Not just the conference champion, first, second, and third highest-ranked teams in the college football playoff rankings go to the 14-team playoff. The same would hold true for the Southeastern Conference. They would also get three automatic qualifiers. Let's say Alabama beat Texas in the SEC championship game. Alabama gets an automatic berth to the college football playoff. Then we'd have to take the next two highest-ranked SEC teams, which would have been Texas and Georgia. Holy cow. (laughs) That's some heavy hitters going into the playoff. So there is six of your 14 teams right there. And again, you don't have to just win the conference championship to get an automatic bid. You just have to be the other one of the other two highly ranked teams in those two conferences. So we have just taken care of six of the 14 teams in our hypothetical. Michigan, Washington, Ohio State would go from the Big Ten, Alabama, Texas, Georgia from the SEC. So, folks, there's six of our 14 teams right there. We'll get to Notre Dame in a moment. Let's continue on. With this proposal, the ACC and the Big 12 would only get two automatic qualifiers. Do you think that's fair? You look at the ACC using, again, our example in the college football playoff rankings from last December the 3rd. From the ACC, the number five ranked team, Florida State. Let's say they won the ACC championship. All right, they're going in. So where is our next ACC team? 
We have to go all the way down to 15 to find Louisville. So with this model, let's say Florida State won the ACC. They get an automatic berth. And the next highest ranked ACC team is Louisville at 15. Now you kind of see where the Big Ten and the SEC is coming from. Why should we not get more bids than the ACC? Because the ACC can't even put two teams in the top ten. Two automatic qualifiers would come from the Big 12. So where do we start there? Well, we told you the top four teams were all from the Big 10 of the SEC. Five through 10 is Florida State, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Missouri, and Penn State. No Big 12 teams there. Let's keep going. Ole Miss, Oklahoma. They're not in the Big 12 anymore. They're in the SEC. LSU, we get to Arizona. They're at 14. There's one team from the Big 12. Then you have to go all the way down to 20 to find the next highest-ranked Big 12 team, the old Cowboys from Oklahoma State. So the Big 12 would only have number 14 and number 20 in the college football playoff rankings those two would go. So your number 20th ranked team gets in. Do you understand why the Big Ten of the SEC are saying, why shouldn't we get more? Okay, so we have taken care of 10 of our 14 teams by handing out automatic qualifiers, three to the SEC, three to the Big Ten, two to the ACC, two to the Big 12. An automatic qualifier comes from the group of five, Sunbelt. American, MAC, pick your favorite, what we would call mid-level conference. To avoid being sued, you give one of those teams an opportunity to get into the college football playoff. And based on last year's rankings, it would be Liberty, 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 Liberty. Who was at number 23 in the rankings? So that takes care of 11. According to this college football playoff model for the 14-team playoff, we still haven't talked about Notre Dame, where they fit in. Well, here's where Notre Dame comes into the conversation. In the 14-team playoff, there would be three at-large spots. And according to reports, in this 14-team model, the number of at-large spots would go from three to two if Notre Dame is ranked in the top 14 when the final college football playoff ranking comes out. So if Notre Dame is in the top 14, they automatically get into the playoff, which would leave two at-large spots. And that would basically come down to this. The final two spots would go to teams at the best, Fourth in the SEC, fourth in the Big Ten, third in the ACC, third in the Big 12, and that's how you round out your other two spots. Do you see why there's still a very nice path for Notre Dame to get to the playoff and stay an independent? You get into the top 14, and you know what? If you think about it, when Notre Dame is good, that's not a problem. If they are a team that is deserving of being 
a consideration team for the playoff, they're going to be in the top 14. So this right now, right now, the way we understand it, and if we learn more information, I'll come back and correct myself, but the way I perceive this right now, this is not bad for Notre Dame and staying independent. Do they still have a home for Olympic sports? You bet. They're in the ACC. Did they get what they were looking for with a TV deal for their home games? Yep, they've re-upped with NBC. And they still get some cash from the ACC. And finally, do they still have a fair path to the playoff? My answer right now is yes. I don't think this changes the landscape based on what we know about this possible 14-team college football playoff model. I mean, three spots at first kind of seems like not a lot, but if you really think about it, the SEC and the Big Ten were already past their top three teams. Probably, I would bet, the SEC and the Big Ten might grab those other two at-larges because look how far down we had to go for the ACC and the Big 12. So this is basically going to be, if Notre Dame is good enough, they get in as one of the three at-larges. The other two probably go to the SEC and the Big Ten. In fact, we can figure that out right now. So based on what I told you and based on the college football playoff rankings from last year, the cutoff right now, the two teams that would get in using last year's rankings, let me double-check my work. Okay, it would be the eight-seed Oregon out of the Big Ten. And guess who from the SEC? The number nine, Missouri Tigers. So you talk about people grumbling. Let's think about this for a moment. I told you based on this model and based on last year's rankings, Arizona as a 14, Louisville as a 15, Oklahoma State as a 20, and Liberty as a 23-ranked team, they would get in before number 10, number 11, number 12, and number 13. Those four teams, number 10, Penn State, not going. Number 11, Ole Miss, sorry. Number 12, Oklahoma, find something else to do. And the family down in Baton Rouge, the LSU Tigers would be 13. But you know what? They would not be going to the college football playoff because based on this model, you have to have two teams from the ACC, two from the Big 12, a group of five, 14, 15, 20, and 23 get in before number 13, LSU. All right, we'll see you in Columbia. Bring your Columbia jackets. Joke. <laughs> well, that's going to cause a stir, to say the least. But you know what? Based on last year's rankings, Notre Dame would not have made it. They would have been number 16. So they would have been on the outside looking in based on last year's model. But they were three-loss team last year and still were number 16, which tells me I think you would agree a majority of the time, if Notre Dame goes 10-2, and two, there is 
a highly, highly good chance they're in the top 14. Now, with this year's schedule, strength of schedule could be a problem for 10-2. and two, But most years, 10-2 and two is going to put Notre Dame in the top 14. And that's why I don't think there is really any reason to get excited about this model. I think there is still a beautiful landscape for Notre Dame football to just keep on going as an independent. Again, we'll have to see how the model plays out, but there's a really good chance going to a 14-team model, this could actually work out really well for Notre Dame because there are a couple of ways you could do a 14-team playoff. One of those would be the number one and number two seeds in the college football playoff rankings would get a bye in the first round, which would mean, for example, 14 would play at 3, 13 would play at 4, 12 would play at 5, on down the line. So we'll have to see if they still have the conference champions getting the top four seeds, but at the very least, 3 and 4 are going to have to play based on that possibility. So only two teams would have to win three games to win the championship. The other 12 teams, including Notre Dame, including two other conference champions, would have to win four. So again, this seems to work out just fine for Notre Dame, and they still don't have to play in a conference championship. I've thought about negatives, trying to figure out what would not play well for Notre Dame. Maybe you have something come to mind, and if you have something that comes to mind, always feel free to drop me a message on my Twitter X account, at 960SportsBeat. But this feels really good from a Notre Dame standpoint from what I've been able to read at this particular time. So, we'll have to see if this is going to pan out. The SEC and the Big Ten, they bring a couple of big gavels to the table, and they might be able to get this accomplished. And I got to be honest with you. I do not have a problem with the Big Ten and the SEC getting more qualifiers than the ACC and the Big 12. Until proven differently, which I don't believe is going to happen. And if it does, it's going to be rare. All of the, I don't want to say all, that's not fair. A majority of the powerhouse teams in college football are now in the Big Ten or the SEC if they are in a conference. I'm not talking about Notre Dame here because they're not in a conference. You look at who's the powerhouse teams right now in the Big 12. You could argue Clemson. Yes, Great success winning those national championships, but things have gone in a different direction in Death Valley the last couple of years. They could bounce back, and they could be one of the two teams that could get the spot in the ACC for the college football 14 playoff. And I would expect them to bounce back eventually and be a contender for at least the playoff and maybe the championship. But Right now, look at the teams in the Big Ten and the SEC in last year's college football playoff ranking. I'll name the team from those conferences and how they're ranked. Michigan 1, Washington 2, Texas 3, Alabama 4, 
Georgia 6, Ohio State 7, Oregon 8, Missouri 9, Penn State 10, Ole Miss 11, Oklahoma 12, LSU 13, and then we go down to Iowa at 17. Then we have Tennessee at 21, and that's it. It's a long list of Big Ten and SEC teams that was eventually broken up by Florida State at five, but then there was another breakup until 14 for Arizona. So I am absolutely fine with the Big Ten of the SEC getting one more qualifier than the ACC and the Big 12, and it wouldn't shock me that if Notre Dame claims one of those three at-larges, the Big Ten of the SEC will gobble up those final two spots. That's where we are in college football right now. So not that we're going to get settled very long with a 12-team playoff. The 14-team playoff is a possibility. Notre Dame appears to have really good access, and it sure doesn't seem like anything is going to change around these parts. Except in the Midwest, where it's going to be a whole lot tougher to go through a Big Ten schedule and go undefeated like Michigan did last year. Their schedule last year compared to this year, holy Toledo. And with the talent differential and head coach differential, ooh, they are bracing for a very interesting year up in Ann Arbor in 2024. All right, 536 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We'll take a timeout. We'll get to a couple more opening topics. Hope you learn something and enjoy that conversation on what could be a 14-team playoff coming to college football in 2026 and how Notre Dame appears to still be in awfully good shape. If things pop up where we see things differently, we'll revisit it. But right now, if you're an Irish fan, just came out like, okay, cool. Let's tee it up. Let's win four and go home with a title. 536 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Dame football coverage continues now. In trouble and sacked. Riley Mills with the sack at the 42-yard line. Oh. And it's intercepted. Picked off middle of the field. Kaiser. On Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Driven back into the backfield after no game. Jalen Sneed. Ball, hit. Ball comes out. Notre Dame's got it. Howard Cross knocked the ball out. From Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. They won't make it. They get stopped. No chance. Joshua Burnham was there to meet him and throw him for a loss. Morris in trouble and sacked. That is RJ Open. Welcome back to the program. Budweiser's weekday sports speed 542 on this Thursday, February the 29th of 2024. My name is Darren Pritchett. Again, I'm off tomorrow. Jim Arizari and Eric Hansen will be hosting tomorrow's program here on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We spent the first 30 minutes of the program trying to lay out for you the possibilities of a 14-team college football playoff coming in 2026. So, folks, just enjoy a 12-team playoff for a couple of years. We'll change again, and maybe we're going to try it with 14 teams And again, there appears to be great access for Notre Dame to make the college football playoff once again. But there's a lot of money to be figured out. Does the Big Ten, the SEC, get more automatic qualifiers than everybody else? There's still a ways to go. And if the deadline to figure this out is mid-March, I'm not sure it's all going to get done. But hopefully, 
We'll have an answer in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's shift gears for a couple of moments. Let's do our final two hat trick of opening topics for tonight. I want to introduce you to a defensive lineman, a freshman early enrollee for the Fighting Irish football team. His name is Cole Mullins. He is 6'4", 240 pounds. He is an edge out of Hoshton, Georgia. He was listed by rivals as a three-star number 55 edge rusher in the class of 2024. And Cole spent a little time with the Notre Dame media recently. Cole, what did you kind of learn this fall, just not being able to play football, just kind of learn about yourself or learn about the game of football? Yeah. I mean, definitely had to learn how to be a better teammate when I'm on the field, just support my teammates in the locker room, helping guys who are young maybe learn what to do maybe when they're out there. When, they get their shot, so just being a better teammate. And then how has it kind of gone for you, just kind of fitting in and embracing the defensive line room? I mean, yeah, definitely. It's just focusing just on D-line. That's It's really just it's a, it's a change, but I'm excited to just focus on one thing. So. How would you describe the kind of where you're going to fit in positionally? Because I, I feel like during high school you played a lot of linebacker. Mm-hmm. But a lot of defensive end, obviously, I think this year was going to look a little bit different, but unfortunately the injury just changed some things. So what kind of expectations do you have now that you're in college where you might play the defense? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm learning both Viper and DN right now, like both the formations, everything I need to know. So they're, they're said going to start me off at Viper and just see what I transition to from there. So, Like in the past, Notre Dame's been known to – transition a lot of linebackers to Viper, like, mm-hmm. what do you think about your skill set just transitions well to that position? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm confident I could do what they tell me, what they need me to do, so I feel like whatever they need me to do, I'll do it at Viper and whatever they want. And then, like, where are you at um, as far as health um, mm-hmm. with your ankle and foot? Are, are you at full strength, being able to run and things again? Do you feel confident in, in doing some of those things after suffering the injury? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still trying to gain confidence back in the, in the foot, obviously, but I'm doing all the workouts, all the lifting, full weight. So I would say I'm almost 100%, but I should be good by spring ball. That's Cole Mullins. He suffered a low fibula fracture during the final scrimmage leading up to his high school 2023 season opener. That particular injury led to some ankle issues, so he was forced to sit out the high school season with an estimated recovery time of four to six months. He is here as an early enrollee for the Fighting Irish, and I'm sure he is itching to get back out on the football field. And the Irish will be taking the field for the first time March 7th with their first spring practice of 2024. And we hope that Cole Mullins is healthy and learns a lot and adds a little depth to the Fighting Irish defensive line, and we'll see where he ends up playing. Who knows? 546 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our final topic for the opening segment or two of tonight's program, I want to go back to the Notre Dame basketball team the other night. Tuesday night, they faced Wake Forest, a team that was riding high. They beat the Duke Blue Devils at home, a victory that many believe would put them over the top as an NCAA tournament team. You wondered, would they come out flat, not disrespecting Notre Dame, but whomever the next opponent was, mentally, are you going to be locked in after doing what you needed to do, what you wanted to do, 
and beating a team that would help your resume. And, oh, by the way, yeah, it's Duke, too. You just want to beat them anyway. How would they react a couple of hours later? Well, they got off to a fast start against Notre Dame, but the Irish took some early jabs to the chin, and then they started countering. The Fighting Irish were down five at halftime, and how about they held Wake Forest to 22 second-half points? Wake Forest was 8 of 30 from the field in the second half, 26.7%, 2 of 10 from trifecta land for just 20%. The Irish outscored them 32-22 over the final 20 minutes, and Notre Dame knocked off a potential NCAA tournament team 70-65, and now the Irish all of a sudden have won 4 of 5, And don't look now, the team predicted to get last in the ACC in a 15-team league. They're now tied for 11th. And that may not seem like much, but A, remember where they were playing-wise a month and a half ago? And all the players that are new to the program when Micah got on the practice court, not many familiar faces for Notre Dame fans. They have really done an amazing job of turning the corner, led by Marcus Burton, who had... 31 points, a career high against Wake Forest. And here's what Steve Forbes, the head coach of Wake Forest, had to say about Burton, the Penn grad, and the freshman guard for the Fighting Irish. Really good change of pace. He can play really fast. He can slow down. Um, He's good. Plays off his shot fake, which is hard. Um, He gets in the lane. He gets you off your feet. Draws fouls. He's a good enough. He's an acceptable enough three-point shooter that you have to guard him from there, so you can't go under on the ball screen. Um, he's just got that shot-making knack that you know. You, I don't think it's something you just have. Um, and he's got elite speed, but he's got change of pace. Some guys can play fast; you can't slow down, running into the wall. You know, he can slow down. He can stop on a dime, and then he can shot fake and get you up. And then, you know, he's just a hard player to, to, to play against. He's a really good player. He's one of the better guards in our league. There you go. One of the better guards in the league as a freshman. Hey, we know Marcus Burton, what he's been able to do this year. Probably going to be on the freshman team for the All-ACC at the end of the year. And in the running for freshman of the year in the league as he continues to get better and better. The turnovers are going down. The days of 7-8 turnovers, I think those are long gone. Marcus played 35 and a half minutes against Wake Forest, one turnover. How about the team? Six turnovers in 40 minutes of basketball against a team that likely will make the NCAA tournament and who had just beaten the Duke Blue Devils a couple of days before. Pretty cool, to say the least. Burton with 31, and when he became the fourth Notre Dame freshman to have a 30-point game, I believe it was Chris Thomas, Adrian Dantley, and Troy Murphy were the other three. So that's some pretty lofty company for the freshman guard of the Fighting Irish. And Braden Shrewsbury had 11 points in the ballgame. Kerry Booth erupted for 15. Tay Davis, who's been solid recently, 11 points and six rebounds. The Irish have moved to 11-17, and 6-11 of the ACC. Yeah, overall, that doesn't look great. But again, look at the improvement as the weeks have gone on. And Micah Shrewsbury, who had some frustrating post-game interviews with Tony Simeone after Irish games here on the Notre Dame Radio Network, 
You could almost see through your radio dial the smile on Micah's face after the game Tuesday night when his squad knocked off Wake Forest 70-65. I, I thought it was a great team performance tonight. Uh, I do want to start with Marcus, though. 31 points, new career high. I heard he's the fourth freshman ever to get above 30. was great at the line. He had four steals, the, the big block. I mean, I can't believe he keeps getting better and better, Coach, but where does this one rank for you? How impressive was his performance? I, saw he, I think he was cramping at one point, and, and even through it all, he kept defending. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hot in here, man. And he, he came out. Like, we, we wanted to leave him in as long as possible and, you know, try and use the medias, give him a little extra breaks. And sometimes it doesn't play the right way, and we took him out. And, you know, Nixon's putting ice on him, but just because he's he's so hot, right? Like, like he was he was hot, and we didn't want him to wear down. And, uh, you know, shout out to our to Nixon and Greg and our managers for, for keeping these guys hydrated because they played a lot of minutes. Um you know, Tay got in foul trouble. Roper got in foul trouble. So Braden and Marcus had to stay in longer. Um, Keba got in foul trouble. Zona had to come in and play big minutes. And, like, that that was key for us. And, uh, you know, shout out to our training staff for, for helping those guys out to get through this. It looked like Zona was uh, overheating there for a second <laughs> in the first gassed. half. Yeah. He told me he was good, but he was <laughs> gassed. <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask about the the change that happened at halftime. 43 first half points. They're obviously a great offensive team. What were you able to do in the second half that took them out of it a little bit? You guys, I thought, made them play on your terms more in the second half, but how did you do that defensively, holding them to just 22 second-half points? You know, we, we talked about in the first half, they were 12 of 16 from two, right? Like, our whole deal was to protect the paint. Um, we were late in our, our pick-and-roll coverage, so we were a step late. So now the ball's being passed, and I'm coming in, and they're kicking it out. Mm-hmm. We were slow to a couple shooters, right, just because we weren't in position early. Yeah. So we just talked about being there early, and now it's just one-way help. I only have to go one direction. And I thought in the second half they really didn't get a chance to, to pick on us in the short roll mm-hmm. to get some of those kickouts, and we were kind of there on the catch. And, um, you know, and then, and then we just challenged a bunch of shots, tried to stay down the best we could, challenge a bunch of shots, and then rebound. All right, there you go. Micah Shrewsbury after the game Tuesday night, Irish win 70-65. to And you know what? You've won four of five. Why not go up against a team that is going to the NCAA tournament? The Clemson Tigers up next. Clemson might be a five, a six, a seven seed in the NCAA tournament. The Tigers coming to South Bend Saturday night, 745 opening tip, which means pregame coverage at 715 here at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Heck, why not win another one? Let's see what happens Saturday night. 554 Twitter question of the day is coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT. 557 at WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. Our Twitter question of the day from Sportsbeat and InsideIndieSports.com, which you can find on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. Wednesday, we asked you, Notre Dame football will go 9-0 this fall against teams not named Texas A&M, USC, and Florida State. True or false? This was a landslide. We all know the fan base is fired up right now. Things are pointing in an extremely positive direction. 
Mike Denbrock and Al Golden are your coordinators with the way Marcus Freeman is leading this team, leading the charge on recruiting. There's a lot of reasons to have a smile on your face as an Irish football fan. And you all believe that they're going to run the table against those teams not named A&M, USC, and Florida State. 91% that statement is true. Only 9% said, eh, not so fast, my friend. I would vote true. I think they will go 9-0 against teams not named A&M, USC, and Florida State. And, and I know that knowing the offensive line has to be rebuilt, new quarterback, a lot of things changing. But I feel good. I feel good. Competition they're playing, talent here, coaching staff. I feel good about that. We thank you for voting. Here is today's question. Building off that, which of these three games that Notre Dame will play this fall is the most concerning to you? So which could be the biggest headache? Notre Dame at Purdue, Louisville at Notre Dame, or the Irish taking on Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And I offered a fourth choice. None of these three games scare you at all. So which is the most concerning game? At Purdue, Louisville taking on Georgia Tech in Atlanta, or you know what? None of them. We'd love for you to vote. Go to my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. Vote today. Results coming up on Monday since I'm off tomorrow. By the way, Notre Dame now knows their ACC opponents for next year. Home and away, they'll take on Boston College, Georgia Tech, and Syracuse. Home only. Now, remember, there's changes to the ACC. Don't let this give you bitter beer face. But the home ACC games for the Irish next year, California, Louisville, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Virginia, Stanford, and SMU. The away schedule feels like an ACC schedule. The Irish will only go to Clemson, Duke, Florida State, Miami, NC State, Virginia, and Wake Forest. Times are a-changing. We're going to shift gears to Hoosier Hysteria conversation coming up next. In about six minutes, we'll talk to Mishawaka basketball coach Bodie Bender. Then at 6.30, Concord's Derek Deshaun joins the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, we're back on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. All right, we just had our internet telephone lines go down. So we're going to experiment. We're going to try to make this work. I've got Bodie Bender, the Mishawaka head basketball coach, joining me on my cell phone with a microphone put down to the cell phone. So I hope this goes well. We'll give it a shot. It's the only shot we have at this point. So, Coach, first off, I really appreciate you joining me. I guess it's not unusual for you. You're on the phone. But for me, I'm I'm talking into a microphone and looking at a cell phone right now. But... I appreciate your time. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Greatly appreciate your time. Let me start with this. You opened with Laporte in the sectionals at the Cave Tuesday night. You won 50-44. to It's interesting watching that game. It felt like you guys had control of the game for most of the contest, 
But I would say Laporte hit some some very creative threes late in the ball game to make the final score maybe look a little different than the flow of the game. How did you perceive the way your team played Tuesday night? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I thought I thought defensively we were really good. I mean, for the first three quarters we held them to what twenty one points, and then I think we looked in the book after the game and they scored twenty three in the fourth quarter and. They didn't make a three-pointer up until the start of the fourth quarter, and then they made six. And uh, it was one of those, I thought that about four of those were challenged, three-point shots. We were in the face, hand in the face, and it was like, what the heck? One of those, like, throw it in, make it. Uh, you know, so they, they, did, they did claw back a little bit. But I thought for the most part, defensively, we were pretty darn good. Um, we were a little rough at times offensively, but um, – Hopefully we've gotten that out of us and we'll be a little bit better tomorrow night. Coach, your team won the school's first sectional in 37 years last year, and you have a veteran club, especially in your starting lineup this year. Did you think your guys were surprisingly tight Tuesday night? Um, I don't know about tight. Uh, maybe a little bit because you just you know what, what goes down, that if you're not successful and you're not on the winning side of that, um, you're cleaning out lockers the next day. And, and for some of those guys, um, that's the end of their career. So hopefully we've got those first game jitters out of us. Um, it's something that, you know, Steve Sheldraw and, and Ian Nelson and Brandon Scorb and I talked a lot about before the game. It, it's kind of like that NCAA tournament feel of survive in advance, get by the first round, and then hopefully we can loosen up and just play play a little bit more freely, especially on the offensive end of tomorrow night. Bodie Bender, basketball coach at Mishawaka High School, getting set to take on South Bend Adams in a sectional semifinal tomorrow night at 6 o'clock at the Cave. We'd love to have you out at the Cave. Otherwise, you can listen to the game on 96.1 The Ton. I would assume once the tournament season is over, Brady Fisher will be an all-NLC performer. Your 6'3", 6'4", I thought really came up big at times when maybe the offense wasn't hitting on all cylinders against Laporte's zone and, and trapping defense, but he scored and did a really good job at the free throw line as well. Yeah, he ended up 10 of 14 from the free throw line. I thought another big one was Jackson Snyder down the stretch. Yeah. I think he, ate, he hit eight consecutive free throws and finished with 10 or 11 in the game. Um, hit a big three in the first half. Um, we finished 22 of 32 from the line, which is uh, in the low 70s, is what Sheltra told me, since he's a math guy and he's better at math than I am <laughs> today, um, which isn't awful as a team. Um, we'll take that, especially if we're shooting 32 free throws uh, in a basketball game. Um, so hopefully those are things that can continue. Um, but, yeah, Brady's been there all year for us, especially offensively, um, and I don't know that I would expect anything different tomorrow night. You were without your number two leading scorer in that game, Rasan Johnson. I know he's the guy that can handle the ball and shoot the ball well for you. Uh, how did the team uh, pick up the slack without Rasan on the floor Tuesday night? Oh, we had to go with a little bit different starting lineup, so we went with Trey with a little bit more length. Um, I suspect we'll keep the same starting lineup tomorrow night um, and bring Jack, Troyer, and Landon uh, Johns off the bench, and then you know, we got Braden Freitag in, in the, you know, waiting in the in the weeds if we need him to use him as well. Um, but I think for us, we've got to stay out of foul trouble. We can't get in foul trouble. We were lucky enough, I think, Tuesday night. Um, Jack and, and Coop went to halftime with two. So we were pretty – we did pretty well with staying out of foul trouble. But, um, uh, you know, I, I thought they rallied well. 
Um, and, and they just took care of business. I mean, these guys are all veteran guys. They understand what's at stake and, and what they need to do to get things done. Coach, you have what I would think a, a very limited rotation of bigs on this mm-hmm. team. So having to go with Trey Thomas, Brady Fisher, and Cooper Pritchett all in the starting lineup, it probably limits what you can do off the bench. But at the same time, doesn't that group give you a different look that's kind of intriguing? I mean, they came up big late in the game against South Bend St. Joe. Yeah, I think they do. And, and, and late in the game, you even had Jack Troyer in the game. We were long. I think our, our shortest guy on the floor at the end of the game was like 6'2". Um, so, you know, we were long. It gives us a little bit more length on the perimeter. And, and the other thing that I like is all three of those guys on the offensive end will go offensive rebound and, and make it tough. Um, on opposing defenses. So, um, yeah, they were big. And, and even when Jack Troyer's in the game, he's a pretty good offensive rebounder. So those guys have a knock to go get it. Um, I think we've been very fortunate here in the last week, week and a half, of, of getting a lot of second-chance opportunities, especially in that St. Joe game. And uh, that's something that's probably going to have to continue here uh, if we want to you know, continue to stay alive in this tournament. Bodie Bender, Mishawaka head coach, my guest. Okay, so this is a tough question. You're a basketball coach. You're not an administrator. But I saw something Tuesday night that I have not seen in all my years as a, a fan or a media member, and that was the team you were playing came out on the floor and touched basketballs before the clock hit zero. I mean, there are strict rules in the IHSA about when you can take the floor. Could that have very easily resulted in a technical foul? See, I don't know the I don't know the actual rule to that um, as far as taking the floor early. Um, from what I was told, I think they heard the three minute horn uh, that you know gave us three minutes before warmups, and they thought that was the time to go on the floor. They got a little mixed up, a little confused. Um, but as I came out, and I saw them on the floor. At least they just stood there and, and waited to start passing or shooting before the twenty minute mark. So I give them credit for that. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know the exact rule to that. And, and really, at that time, uh, that wasn't really something that bothered me with, with everything else we had going on. Okay. Just something I'd never seen before. I was curious right, of the right. protocol. I saw it as well. Right. <laughs> I think everybody was shocked. We're all looking at each other like, why are they on the floor and dribbling the ball? Anyway, right. all right. You take on South Bend Adams Friday night, a team that you played a few weeks ago at the Hathaway Shack, a very competitive basketball game. Uh, Adams had the final shot that was blocked at the buzzer, and you won 52-50. As you have reviewed that tape, what did you take away from your team's performance? Well, I just finished the rest of that tape today. Um, I, I think it was something that there were times we struggled offensively. and In fact, I told the guys um, as we were starting practice today, we didn't score. We scored our last bucket to make it 52-48 with a minute 57 to go on the clock. They scored their last bucket with a minute 38 to go in the game to make it 52-50. Um, so, yeah, we struggled. And, and we had our chances to go to the line and stretch it out or, or even get easy buckets from their trapping. And, and we just looked very uninterested in the game. And I thought there were times we just didn't play very hard. Um I would hope and suspect that, that that will be a different ball club tomorrow night on our home floor. 
you have faced a lot of zone defenses over the second half of the year. I think teams see that, hey, you guys have really good interior passing. You guys get out and run. That's how you score your points. And three-point shooting has not been a strength this year. How has your team been able to adapt and learn and how to break down these defenses? 2-3, 1-3-1, whatever zone defenses teams right. are throwing at you. I think it starts at the top with our point guard, Jackson Snyder, who is really good at at getting us set up. And and really all five guys, six guys, seven guys, eight guys that we play are really smart at noticing what teams are playing us in and and what teams may be switching up into in the middle of a quarter and on the fly without taking a timeout. And our guys are really smart at talking to each other on the floor, getting set up and what we want to run. And I think our guys do a great job of moving the basketball back and forth to each wing to open up um, passing lanes for a Brady Fisher cutting in there, um, Cooper getting it in the in the short corner, or Brady getting it in the short corner and Cooper diving. Uh, I know we've had times where Jack Troyer will cut in there in a one-three-one. Trey Thomas. Um, so these guys are really good at moving the basketball, finding finding areas to drive it and or throw it in with a bounce pass to get us good looks on the interior. Coach, when you think about tomorrow night facing South Bend Adams, again, after reviewing the tape, what should be the concerns for Mishawaka fans watching their team take on South Bend Adams tomorrow night? Well, I think for us, we've got to be better defensively than what we were the last time. Um, I, I thought there was times when we would fly out at shooters. It really wasn't flying out at shooters the last time we played. It was just kind of... Uh, jog out at shooters and let them get open looks. We can't have that tomorrow night. We also, at times, um, their point guard, K.J. Johnston, we lost him on cuts, and he got a couple open looks for three. Um, and then I felt like Jarvis Tolbert basically did whatever he wanted in the first game, uh, driving the ball whenever he wanted to and getting to the paint. And I told the guys, you can't let guys constantly get to the paint. If they do, it could be a long night for us, especially on the defensive end. Well, I think it's fair to say a lot of things have changed involving Mishawaka basketball the last few years. Ron Heklinski and now you taking over. Just doing a little research from 2005 to 2020, Mishawaka boys basketball in sectional play was 4-16. and 16. This senior class, with the help of other players, not just them, but this senior class has gone 5-2 and two in sectional play right now in their high school careers going into that matchup against South Bend Adams. I'm not writing an obituary at this point, but just reflect on what this group has done and maybe how they're a part of the changing of the culture of Mishawaka after a lot of years of not even winning one uh, sectional game. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do started back with, with Heck, you know, when he brought a lot of these guys up as freshmen to play. And, and I remember, you know, listening to the game, the sectional final game, uh, with you and Brian on with heck in the post game and it was baptism by fire type of uh, type of experience for some of these guys and and they got beat around a little bit as freshmen and and they learned from it and and now they you know as seniors as what we like to call grown men on the floor uh, have kind of reversed those and and are, are starting to you know kind of dish it back to other teams mm. Could you just handicap as a basketball fan the second game at Mishawaka tomorrow night? Oh. It's Michigan City who really struggled with Plymouth until late in the ball game. They're going to take on the team that's been proclaimed the best team outside of Indianapolis, South Bend Riley. 
Yeah, that's going to be a heck of a basketball game. It's going to be a war. I know they played back on January 9th, um, and, and Riley won in, in a two-point game, 66-54. And I believe Riley started that game out 12 nothing, And then from there on out, it was either even or Michigan City's advantage as far as how the game was played. So I would expect a very good second game tomorrow night. Um, and hopefully we have a reason to, you know, stay and watch the ball game. All right. Very good. Bodie Bender in his second year as Mishawaka basketball coach. The Cavemen are 17-7 and going into their matchup with South Bend Adams again tomorrow night at the Cave at 6 o'clock. You can hear the game on 96-1 the ton and game number two also on 96-1 the ton. South Bend Riley taking on Michigan City. Well, Coach, again, congratulations on the win Tuesday night and best of luck tomorrow night at the Cave against the Eagles. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Coach, thank you much. That's Bodie Bender, the head coach of the Mishawaka Cavemen. We'll talk to one of his good friends, the head coach of Concord, Derek Deshone, coming up in our next segment. 623, this is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, Abby, thank you very much. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you at 6.30. We just talked some Mishawaka sectional action with Mishawaka head coach Bodie Bender. And now it's time to talk to a good friend of Coach Bender, Derek Deshaun, the head coach of the Concord Minutemen, who are 18-4 going into their sectional semifinal at Northside Gym tomorrow night at 6 o'clock where they will take on a really good Warsaw Tigers basketball team. Then in Game 2, it's Penn taking on Elkhart. Coach, it's a pleasure to talk to you. How are you this evening? I'm wonderful. How are you guys? We are doing great. Thank you so much for your time. First off, take me through your regular season in which you had a 10-game winning streak at one point. Coach, you played a lot of quality opponents, including going through what turned out to be I would say a highly competitive NLC this year. I mean, I, th I think those as good as the NLC competitive. Uh, the parity's been in at least in my time there in the last five six years. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a tough, uh, tough schedule, top to bottom. Um, really good competition in and out of conference, um, and we were fortunate enough to make a nice little run at the uh, in the middle of the season there. Coach, just based on what I've read, I, I've watched you a couple of times in person. But I've read people believe that your offense got better from where it was the, maybe the first month of the season. A, would you agree with that? And second of all, if you agree with that, why was that the case? Um, I think it would. I think sometimes you, it, it's just comfortability. I know we had a lot of guys back from last year. It still wasn't the same exact team from last year. So I think you every year you're trying to, to work out um, you know, how kids play together. Um, how they come off the kids that come off the bench, what their roles are, and you kind of figure some of those things out. Um, and ironically, um, after our Mishawaka game, um, at that point of the season, we were averaging about 13 turnovers a game, uh, which is which is too high in my opinion. Um, and since then, we're averaging about six and a half a game. Um, and I, if you want to say the difference, that's six, seven more shots a game. Um, just on average, and I think that's a big deal, especially in an NLC, which is a possession-oriented league. I just felt like, Coach, your team watching you guys play, 
Your players have, and I'm going to steal from Mike Bray what he used to say about the Irish, but they just seem to have a high basketball IQ. They seem to have a great understanding of what you wanted out of their offense this year. Um, yeah, I, I think the one thing I've said from the beginning of the season is I, we're not the biggest, strongest, or fastest, but we are tough. I think we have tough kids, and I think we're really smart. Um, I think they know um, they know how we have to play and what we have to do, which maybe isn't always the funnest thing to watch and, and isn't the, the brand of basketball maybe that you see on TV every night, um, but they're okay um, with doing whatever is needed to win. And that's uh, that's a credit to them because um, th- I'll use a, I'll still steal a, a Bill Sharp line that <laughs> it's amazing what happens when nobody cares who gets the credit. <laughs> and we have a lot of we've had a lot of different leading scores on different nights, and and it's some it's typically Messenger, but a lot of times it's been Bull and Pro, McEwen, um, and as long as we win, they're excited for each other. Derek Deshone, head basketball coach of the Concord Minutemen, my guest here on WSBT Radio. Let me, for just a moment, take you back to December 15th when you played Mishawaka at Mishawaka High School. I set this up. You and Coach Bender are really, really good friends. Bodie has told me that you guys talk pretty much every day. How weird is it, no matter who wins or loses, to have that conversation after you you guys play a basketball game? Um, You know, I think the the good thing is is when you do play each other, you're going to attack each other's weaknesses. And um, and that's going to help you in the long run. Um, I wish that um, they wouldn't have went like five for twelve from three that game. Not that <laughs> I remember that, and we went zero for ten or twelve or something. That would have helped. But um, it was a good game. It showed us some. It, it kind of not not only just showed me, but I think sometimes it shows our players um, things that we have to do. Specifically, we had to do offensively in order to get better shots. Um, against a big, strong team like that. And I thought it was, we, we talk about it all the time, it was a good wake-up call because we had beat Penn the Friday before, and now you got to go back and play another team. And um, that was, when you talk about a turning point for us, um, I, I thought that game we weren't willing to do what it took to win the game. And that was, were we, were we willing to win 34-33? And I thought we were, except for about a five, six minute stretch. And that's the stretch that beat us. Does it normally take you guys a couple of days to talk about that game? Or do you talk about it the first time you guys speak, you know, once you guys have played the game? I don't know. I, I, I actually, I wouldn't, I don't even remember. I don't think it takes too long. Good. I mean, I like it, it's, it's, it's competitive but um, it's not personal, and you know we're both trying to do what's best for both of our programs. Yep, no doubt. Hey, Derek, let's let's go to Tuesday night when you took on a Goshen team who I think had a great second half of the year. They lost their big guy. They've got an exciting sophomore guard that the league has to deal with for the next two years, and it sounded like they put up a pretty good fight Tuesday night against your club. What was the difference in ultimately beating Goshen 50-44? to Well, number one, Michael Wolford is one of the best coaches that nobody talks about. Yeah. Um, the, like I was up at night. I was nervous as could be for that game for a multitude of reasons. One, because I knew he was going to have a heck of a game plan and I didn't, wasn't sure what that would be. Um, two, the sophomore will keep everybody up at night for the next few years. <laughs> and then, and then it's the, the Tuesday six o'clock game of sectionals. you never know what's going to happen. 
and um, it's a it was an old fashioned NLC grinder grinder game, um, and uh, you know I think the biggest thing for us was you know Lucas Pro came out in the in the second quarter and in the third and hit some big shots for us. Um, we we only had four turnovers and all of them I think were late or in the end of third into the fourth quarter. So we we held on the ball, we got shots, um, and we kind of had to ride the wave of Braden Messenger still not back to himself yet um missed some shots that he normally makes um but other guys had to step up and find ways um to to get us across the finish line there so now coach you get set to take on a conference foe and the warsaw tigers who received a bye into the sectional semifinals and of course you guys played january 19th on your home floor and you turned back warsaw 56 to 45 when you went back and reviewed that tape what do you feel like you guys did well enough in that contest to beat a really good Warsaw team? Well, I thought we battled. We battled inside. I mean, it, we, we, we're going to, and we're going to have to do it again. It's going to have to be better They're They are uh, significantly more post-based probably than they were earlier in the year. And they're really playing through 25 inside. Um, but I thought we did as almost as well as we could at that point in time of the year, uh, you know, defending in the post and rebounding. Um, and then we, we went on a, we went on a good stretch in the third quarter Um where, where we kind of extended a lead enough to kind of hold them off. Um, but we're, we're going to have to play much better because they're significantly better than they were then. And we're going to have to we're gonna have to shoot the ball better and we're going to have to have a similar presence and effort inside because we just don't have – we don't have the horses they have. Um, you know, when, they're, when you're they're, – they're very similar to Mishawaka and they're all 6'3", six, 6'4", six, um, and they just have a 6'8 guy inside that you have to – contend with because he's six eight and he's skilled he's going probably not paying to go to college and um he's he's a handful for us Derek Deshaun head coach of Concord my guest for the Minutemen fans that are going to be at Northside Gym tomorrow night watching this Warsaw team you offered a little insight on the Tigers there maybe a a couple more in-depth thoughts what's at the top of your checklist what can Warsaw not do in this game in order to give yourself the ultimate chance to win the contest um you know, we, we can't, um, you can't lose 10 and two, you can't lose Bricker and, um, Finlandson. Like if you do, you might as well set up your, take the ball out to run the other way because they don't miss very often. Um, and then we have to contend in the post in the paint with them. Um, there, you can't let them own the paint or it's going to be a long night for the minute, man. And then offensively, we, you, you gotta, you gotta make shots. I mean, we can, we can say all the stuff we want about, about, how to get shots, but ultimately at some point, whether it's a fast shot or it takes a while to get a shot, you got to make some shots and you got to take care of the ball. Coach, just how much fun are your kids having knowing that they're a part of one of the great traditions in the country? Who's your hysteria? They get another chance to play tomorrow night. How important is this to them? This is, I, I, we, we talked about Tuesday after the game that Friday night of the sectionals and some would say yes some would say no I think is maybe the best night of the tournament it is um, yep. I just there's nothing better than you get four schools that are all fighting for a chance to play in the sectional finals um, and we're fortunate enough to get to this year so um, I've it's been a different feel in practice Wednesday and today than it probably was Monday and Saturday um, you know I like I said that first game is always you got to get that get that one out of the way we felt we feel a little a little more loose um 
than than we did on Monday and and Tuesday. So you know we're going to need to play like that um, tomorrow night. I would have to imagine, knowing the family you came from, that Hoosier hysteria probably came to the forefront pretty quickly as a child. Yeah, I mean, just Indiana high school basketball. There's nothing like it, and and playing in in big gyms and, and packed houses and um, in front of your friends and in front of your parents and family, um, and then now getting to, you know, I get to coach with my sister and you know my dad's in the stands. My my now my kids are at the games. It's, <laughs> it's a at Northside gym um, is just you, I don't think you can ask for a for a better experience and and I. We walked in the gym Tuesday night, and, and just as you know, when you walk in those doors and the smell that hits you from that place, <laughs> is that, that's as good as it gets for me right there. Hmm. Penn and Elkhart played the second game tomorrow night. Just as a basketball fan, you look at the records, it would seem like it's a mismatch, but I'll tell you what, Coach, Elkhart has lost a lot of tough games this year. I know they've only won three times. You played them earlier this year. And Penn's a great team, but Elkhart's kind of one of those dangerous teams. You got nothing to lose with a lot of good athletes out there. Well, the, you know what? They're they're very similar in the fact of well, not anymore because everyone in the NLC in football now runs the runs the Bard offense. But they're very similar <laughs> in the fact that they run and they play a different style than everybody else. So you have to contend with that, and then it's always. Um, you, you know, you can't overlook anyone. And in this tournament, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. Um, so, you know, the, the Kingsmen, I, and I know they will. I know they're going to – they'll be prepped, but it, that should be a great game as well. Finally, just want to ask you, Derek, going into a game like tomorrow night and for you guys, hopefully you're playing on Saturday night, are you a big speech guy before big games like this or are you just kind of your normal self and let the moment take care of itself? Um, you know, those things vary. Um, we usually have a lot of, of uh, we'll have a phrase at the end of our scouting report that we're, we're kind of basing our things on. Our, our kids could probably walk up to the board and, and uh, mimic the speed, the, what I say about every game because it's not too far off because I, I think I, I know what our kids need and our kids know what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, it's just kind of for us making our kids comfortable. Yeah. And I think we're better when we're comfortable. I think a lot of coaches would say that. But we're, when we're comfortable and we're in a good headspace and we know what, where, how we're supposed to do things, um, our kids usually play free and play loose. Derek, I tell you what, you made a, a great statement a moment ago. When you walk into Northside Gym, that smell hits you right away. As a parent, if you want to get the, the hair to stand up on the back of your neck, just put in that Hoosier soundtrack. And I tell you what, that does it for me. That, that's 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 money right there. That's, that is uh, that is about as good as you can get. Well, coach, congratulations, co-NLC champions. A record of eighteen and four going into this matchup against Warsaw tomorrow night, six o'clock at Northside Gym. Again, I'm a big fan of the way you guys play. Love to watch you guys play, and we wish you guys the best of luck against Warsaw tomorrow night. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. That's Derek Deshone, the head basketball coach of the Concord Minutemen. 644 at WSBT.